Um, you might have been thinking as you've been seeing us this week, like, what kind of a name is H2O Church? Like, do you guys worship water or something like that? Like, <laughs> that'd be weird if you do. Uh, we do not worship water. I'll tell you that right now. Um, our name actually comes from a passage in John chapter 4 that I'm going to be preaching out of this morning. And uh, we'll get to that in a second. But before we do that, I just want you to think about a time in your life that you've been really, really thirsty. Um, probably, I don't know, for some of you, it might have been this past week when we were playing Ultimate Frisbee. That's what I think about when I think about getting thirsty. You might have noticed our church likes to play a lot of Ultimate Frisbee, too. Um, well, we have this awesome athletic complex with like a thousand fields out here, but the one bad thing is that there's like not really any drinking fountains that are close to it, and all the, the buildings are always locked. So I remember when I first moved here to UC, I would come down, I'd be playing frisbee all night, I'd be hot and sweaty, and uh, it was always really hard to find anywhere to get water. And so now I always bring this giant like gallon jug of water every time. Um, but I, I hate being thirsty, and it, it, we all know how unpleasant physical thirst is, especially when you feel that really intensely. But I believe that we have more than just physical thirst as human beings. Um, I believe that we also have a deeper spiritual thirst, and that's actually a lot of what I want to discuss this morning. Um, but before we get into that, I just want us to pray and ask God to come and move here this morning, and we'll dive into the text I want to walk through. God, uh, we love you. We thank you that you're here in this room with us. And thank you that uh, you are God Almighty, that you created the universe, and yet you know each of us. You know the hairs on our head. God, we thank you that you brought us here this morning and uh, that we have the opportunity to hear your word, to learn from it, to apply it to our lives. God, I ask that you would just encounter, that, that we would encounter you this morning, that you would uh, speak to us, and that you would move in our lives, God, and that, uh, honestly, Lord, the trajectory of our lives would be changed in a positive way by an encounter with you this morning. We pray that you would remove any distractions that we have and just help us to focus our hearts, our minds, our soul on you. Uh, we love you, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Yeah, so this idea of thirst, I talked about that, and uh, physical thirst is annoying as it is, it's intense. Uh, you, you feel it a lot of time, and you're like, man, I've just got to take care of that right away. Uh, with our spiritual thirst, I think it's something that we're oftentimes at least a little bit aware of, but it's really easy to ignore for a longer period of time. And we're going to look at an interaction this morning uh, where Jesus is really playing on this metaphor of water and using it to draw out uh, a spiritual need that a woman has. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to John chapter 4. If you don't have one, that's fine. I'm going to have all the verses I read up here on the screen. But I'm going to start reading in verse 5. I'm going to read a little bit. We'll talk, and I'll read a little bit more. It says, So he, being Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
We're going to stop there for right now. Uh, This is an awesome, rich passage. There's a ton that uh, that I could draw out of it. Uh, But this morning, just due to time, I'm only going to have five key things that I really want to pull out of here uh, that we believe can teach us a lot about God and that have shaped a lot of things that we do here at H2O. And uh, on the back of that handout you have, there's actually like a sermon outline. I made an acronym called WELLS. And each of those will uh, correspond to something I, w- I want to draw out from this passage. And the first thing that I see here is that the offer of living water is wide. All right? Now, Jesus starts off talking to the Samaritan woman, and she's surprised, right? She's like, why are you talking to me? Jews and Samaritans, like, we don't really speak to one another. And that might seem weird to you if you're reading this, because if you hear the word Samaritan, you probably only hear the word good in front of it. Like, we even have a hospital down the road called Good Samaritan Hospital. Um, But that was not how the Samaritans were viewed by Jews, at least in this time. The reason we have that is because of a parable that Jesus would tell in the scriptures. Uh, But there was a lot of animosity between Jews and Samaritans. And the reason was they shared a common ancestry, but over time they split. And uh, the Samaritans were the people that lived in northern Israel. The Jews were the people that lived in southern Israel. And uh, the people in northern Israel were so sinful that God uh, eventually had them conquered by a nation called Assyria. And Assyria took a lot of their people off, and they, they removed them from the land that they were living in. They made them intermarry with the Assyrians. And with that, they lost a lot of their uh, Jewish or their, or their Hebrew cultural identity. And they changed a lot of the ways that they worshipped things. And uh, also, they would go to war with each other every now and then. Uh, So you add all that stuff together, you can see why uh, Jews and Samaritans really did not get along very well together. And so not only was it surprising that Jesus, a Jew, was speaking with this Samaritan, but it was also surprising because Jesus, a Jewish man who was a a teacher, a well-respected teacher in a lot of ways, uh, was speaking to a woman, And she even draws this out a little bit. And if we were to read later, his disciples even come back and it says that they were surprised that Jesus was speaking with a woman. This would have also been something that was culturally abnormal. And then not only that, but this interaction would be surprising if you're just reading John's gospel. Because if you were to read the chapter right before this, Jesus has an interaction with a guy named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is exactly the kind of person that you would expect a religious teacher like Jesus to be speaking to. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, uh, meaning that he was a Jewish leader. He knew uh, the law really well, and he would have been very well respected in his community. But the interesting thing that John shows us in his gospel here by putting Nicodemus and then the Samaritan woman right after that in both interactions, he shows us that neither one of these people is fit for the kingdom of God. But while neither one of them is fit for the kingdom of God, he also makes an offer to show them how they can enter. And this is really, really important for us to understand. And this is why I'm talking about this idea of the offer of living water being wide, because it's something that everybody needs. And it doesn't matter if you're like Nicodemus, who is really good. Let's say you're a great church kid. Uh, You've grown up, you've followed all the rules, you do all the right things. Guess what? You're still not fit for the kingdom of God apart from Jesus. Or you might be like the Samaritan woman. Maybe some of you guys were out and you did things that you already regret this weekend as you've moved into college. And and you go and maybe there's a lot of sin that people can look at in your life and see and they judge you. And guess what? You're still not fit for the kingdom of God either apart from Jesus. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus came to save both people like Nicodemus and people like the Samaritan woman. He came to save the partiers and the church kids. And so Jesus comes and he says, I I want to offer my living water not only to Nicodemus, but also to this Samaritan woman. 
And as his followers, the church, we need to be the same way. We should be willing to make this offer to all kinds of people. The gospel is something that should cut across uh, racial lines, socioeconomic lines, uh, lines of age, any sort of kind of dividing line. The gospel is something that all of us are desperately in need for. And it's because we all have a similar need, which is eternal. And that's what I want to get to here in a second. But if we read on, look at verse 11. It says this. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming down here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. All right, so things got real in this conversation real quick, right? So they come up, they're talking about water, and now all of a sudden Jesus is diving into the sins of this woman's past. She throws out this weird question about where they should worship because he's probably getting uncomfortable. And then he reveals that he's the Messiah, which would have been a really, really important thing to say. A Messiah was a figure uh, that had been prophesied about in the Old Testament uh, that, that they would have been waiting for. Jews were waiting for these. Samaritans would have been familiar with these scriptures as well. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the guy that you've been waiting for. And so there's a ton uh, that, that's going on here in this interaction. But the first thing that we see in it is that Jesus offers to meet our eternal needs. Okay? When, when he talked to her and he said, I'm going to give you this living water, she got really excited about it. She's like, man, that'd be awesome. I don't have to come back and draw water from this well. <laughs> Which would be sweet. Because you imagine if your day consisted largely of having to go out and get a big jug of water and bring it back all the time. She's excited about the fact that maybe she thinks he's got a magic potion or something that's going to make her not physically thirsty anymore. But Jesus is trying to move what she's looking at beyond just the physical that's right in front of her and get her to start thinking about the spiritual. And I believe that just like this Samaritan woman, we can be so similar that all we ever see is the physical that's right in front of us. We get so caught up in, in the immediate needs that we have that we never take time to actually think about the bigger needs that we have that are long-term. And the reality is, man, th those needs over here, they may be urgent, but they're not always what's most important. 
And it's, it can oftentimes be easy to neglect things that are really, really important, but that don't seem urgent. And so with this woman, she, all she could think about was that urgent need. I've got to get water. I've got to get water all the time. I've got to satisfy my physical thirst. But Jesus is trying to help her see, no, no, no. I'm talking about something that's different from that. I need to move you more towards the eternal. And so, so in doing that, he, he kind of shifts the conversation on her. He tells her, hey, go get your husband and come back. And now she starts to figure out he's a prophet. Okay, maybe we're starting to talk about something else here. But the other thing that we see in this is that Jesus is not only offering to satisfy her eternal needs, but we can also see that he's the only one that can do it. Jesus is the lone source of living water. There's nothing else that can satisfy us for eternity. And you're, you guys are in college. You have a ton of different opportunities in front of you. Uh, there's a lot of things that you're going to be able to try. You will have no shortage of clubs that you can be involved with, of different kinds of people that you can meet, all sorts of things. There's a lot of different stuff that you can do. And a lot of those things are good. But there's only one thing that you've actually been created for that's truly going to satisfy you for eternity, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is why when Jesus said to her, he said, if you knew the one that was speaking to you, you would have asked him for living water, and I would have given you a drink. We tend to look for satisfaction in so many places other than Jesus. Uh, we run to these wells, just like this woman. She knew she had to come to this well. She knew that this water would satisfy her thirst for a little bit, but ultimately she knew she was going to have to keep coming back. And that's why she was even excited about this idea of living water. And just like us, we run to these different wells. Uh, we, we go to say, hey, if I can get a relationship, that'll be something that satisfies me. Or if I can just go out and have a ton of fun, that'll be something that satisfies me. Or if I can just do really, really well and be super successful, that'll be something that satisfies me. And so those are kind of the three biggest wells that I've seen people run to. And I want to talk about each of those. The first is just what I call the well of relationships. Um, just people saying, man, if I could get into, get that perfect boyfriend, get that perfect girlfriend, that'll be something that changes everything for me. And uh, now my life will be satisfied. And I can tell you as a married man, I have an awesome wife. Uh, I, I love my marriage, very happily married for over six years now. Um, but yeah, you, you cannot count on your spouse to be the one that ultimately satisfies you. If you do, you're only going to be asking yourself for disaster because there's no other person that can live up to those expectations. So ultimately, I think that you're going to end up ruining your marriage if you say, hey, my marriage is going to be what ultimately satisfies me. Or sometimes we run to what I call the well of gratification. This is just the idea of like, if it feels good, I'm going to do it. And uh, this is kind of what you might associate with party lifestyle, uh, sleeping around, just going out, whatever, seeking to have a fun time in any capacity. I think that um, this is really one of those things that oftentimes, even if you're in it, you might start to realize doesn't actually satisfy, but it can also become addicting and you don't even know how to get out of it. Uh, every year, our church takes a trip down to Panama City Beach, Florida. Yeah. Uh, we, we call it Beach Reach, and it, it's really an awesome trip. It's an intense trip, uh, but we go down, we do like free pancakes uh, in the morning. We do van rides to get people around in Panama City Beach, and uh, we're out on the streets just from like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. just getting into spiritual conversations with people. And it was really interesting the first time I went down there because uh, Panama City Beach on spring break is like a super, super crazy party destination. It used to be especially. Still kind of is, but not as much. 
Um, but when you go down there, it was like the destination, at least for anybody that lived east of the Mississippi, uh, to go and party. And the first time I got down there, I would get into these conversations with people. One of the things I would consistently like to ask is like, hey, you know, you're going out, you're doing all these kind of things. Is this something that really satisfies you? And, and what interested me was almost everybody would say, you know, no, actually it doesn't. And, and these are people that were, they were coming down, you know, driving hours and hours to go and party all week. Yet they would honestly answer me, a guy they don't even know. Like, yeah, you know, to be honest, this isn't really something that's, that's truly satisfying to me. But the problem is it was the only well that they knew to run to. They didn't know where the source of living water was. There's only one source that can give that, and that's Jesus. And, you know, even if you don't live this lifestyle, maybe you don't go out drinking, partying all the time, I think that the well of gratification still might be something you run to. Maybe your gratification is uh, constantly getting compliments or... Um, just making sure that people are constantly thinking highly of you, whatever it may be. If your life is built around pleasure and comfort, I think that you're probably running to the well of gratification to try and find satisfaction in life. Another one that I think is really common is the well of achievement. This is the one that says, hey, if I can just be really, really successful, I'm going to be a great student, I'm going to get a 4.0, I'm going to go and get the best job, uh, graduate top of my class, I'm going to make a lot of money, and then people will think something of me. Uh, a lot, maybe you're driven by saying, I want to prove myself to my parents or family members or something that doubted me, whatever it may be. Uh, this well is also going to leave you dry. You see, one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it shows us, man, God loves you not based on what you achieve. And I think that is one of the hardest things for us to kill in our minds as Christians. Because we live in a world that, that so frequently values us based upon what we can do. And as soon as we're, we're not useful at, at producing something, we're not seen as being valuable anymore. And so we live with this constant and extreme fear of failure. But the gospel is, is so contrary to this. If you truly come to start to understand the gospel, you realize God doesn't accept me based upon what I can achieve. God doesn't choose to love me because I can go out and, and he can use me as a soldier in his army to go share the gospel all the time. Or God doesn't love me just because I'm really good at making sure that I don't cuss or uh, that I'm really good at remaining sexually pure or any of those kind of things. God's love for you is not based on any of that kind of stuff. And so we need to get away from this, this well of achievement and thinking that, man, if only I can be the best at something, that then I'll finally be satisfied. You'll never be able to do it. And you can find people that have been at the top of their craft that will say this over and over. Um, I remember watching an interview with Tom Brady that was talking about this. You know, guy's the greatest quarterback that's ever played. Uh, won a gazillion Super Bowls. I think he's got five of them now or something. Um, and, and it doesn't satisfy I mean, it's, it's great to be at the, the top of your craft, but it won't do it for you. Jesus is the only source of living water. And this is why it's so important that we know him. When Jesus said in verse 10, if you knew him, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In order to get the living water, you have to know where to go and you have to know who to ask for it. And so college is a time where you guys are going to be making a ton of your own decisions. That's part of why I love working with H2O, because you guys are shaping your life. You can decide what you're going to shape it around. 
You can say, okay, no, I'm going to shape my life around running to the well of relationships. So I'm going to shape it around running to the well of gratification. <clears throat> I'm going to shape it around running to the well of achievement. And I promise you there will be a lot of temptation to do those things. But, but I'm just trying to stand here as a person that, that loves you and that cares about you. Man, I'm, I'm not saying achieving things is bad. I'm not saying pleasure is bad as long as it's not sinful. I'm not saying relationships are bad. As a matter of fact, I think all of those things are great gifts from the Lord. But if they are what you build your life on, you're building your house on sand. And it's going to come crashing down at some point. You know, something else that I see from this interaction is not just that Jesus is the lone source of living water, but that he loves you. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. And that's the other L that I have here. Since most of you guys grew up in the United States, you probably heard that at some point before, especially if you grew up in church, you probably sang the song, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah, I, I know they still teach that in Sunday school. I remember I grew up singing that song. Um, and it's almost one of those things that we can hear so much, and it's good for us to hear it a lot because it's important. But I also think that because we hear it so much, we can actually um, miss the impact of what that means. And so I think for a lot of us, when we hear that Jesus loves us, what we really hear is Jesus tolerates us. Um, Jesus has pity on us. You know, almost like uh, you, you drive around Clifton, you walk around Clifton, I'm sure that you guys have seen, there's a lot of homeless people that are sitting on the corners. And I, I think for a lot of us, we think that God looks at us almost like that. He can see that we're dirty. He can see that we're in need. And so he's the guy that comes along and he drops money in our plate. And all of a sudden, you know, we've had a lot of help. But after that, he goes on his way because he doesn't really want to hang out with us. I know for me, I, that, that's a, a thought that I've had to fight against a lot. It's just this idea that, yeah, God had pity on me, but he doesn't really love me. Or, or, or even he loves me, but he doesn't really like me. But that's not what the Bible actually teaches. You see, he's, he's not the one that just goes and drops money in the plate and moves on. He, he's the one that comes, he gives you a hand, he lifts you up, he says, come, you're, you're moving into my house. Matter of fact, I'm adopting you as my child. Come in and live with me. I want you to hang out with me. You know, God wants you to hang out with him. Like, God Almighty of the universe, Christianity is not something that's just a follow these kind of rules or a philosophy that we live by. It's an invitation into a relationship with the eternal God of the universe. And this is so significant. I talk to people a lot of the time that even have a certain respect for Christianity, but, but very frequently on the, on the campus, as I'm getting into spiritual conversations with people, they'll tell me, well, you know, at the end of the day, all religions are pretty much the same. They, they teach people to do good things. Uh, they can make people more moral. And, and, you know, they can make society better. At the end of the day, it all kind of has the same result. And I would say, no, 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 you're, you're missing it. There's an aspect of that that's true. There's an aspect that there's a lot of different religions that can help people become more moral. And I do think that's one of the things that Christianity does, but I don't think that's the main thing. I really don't think that's the main thing. The main thing is that God is inviting us into a relationship with himself. And, and Christianity is not a message of saying, get your act together so that God will accept you, which to my knowledge is pretty much every religion that I can think of in the world is, is essentially based on that philosophy. Get your act together and God will accept you. You want to make sure you're on his good side when death comes. But Christianity says, you know what? God sees you. There is nothing that you could do to get your act completely together. 
right? Like, like as hard as you try, and, and some of you guys in here know exactly what I'm talking about, you just still fail, e- even though you try the hardest to, to break that addiction in your life or, or uh, just to, to even control your thought life or whatever it may be. And you realize, man, I, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this. I can look at somebody else and compare myself to them and say that I'm better. But at the end of the day, I am far from perfect. And if we believe that our God is truly holy and truly perfect, then how in the world do we think that we're going to fit in and living with him? If we're just stacking our own righteousness up and saying, all right, I hope, I hope that I mesh well here. It's not going to happen. You see, when we think of heaven, you, you think of a place where you hope that there's, there's no more sin, right? There, there's no pain. There's no death. There's nothing that's wrong. And, and you have to look at it and say, well, how is that going to happen if all that we bring into that is our own righteousness? We're far from perfect. And so Christianity says, you know what? There's, there's no way that you can bring it. You will never make it to God on your own righteousness. But God sees your need. And rather than you getting your act together and coming to him, he's going to initiate with you. And so, so God literally, the, the, God the Son, Jesus Christ, takes on flesh. This is what John chapter 1 says. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus walks on this earth and he lives a perfect life. And he dies on the cross for our sins. And I always ask people, I talk to a lot of people on campus, I say, uh, you know, why do you think that Jesus died on the cross? And and sometimes they'll kind of repeat back this answer to to save us from our sins, but they don't really know what that means. I'll tell you what it means. When Jesus died on that cross, he he was dying as a substitute for you. The wrath of God, every, every wrong thing that you've done deserves punishment because our God is a just God. He's really loving, but he's really just too. Like he promises that he will punish sin. And that's a good thing because if sin that someday is ever going to be done away with, it all needs to be punished. And so this is why Jesus comes. He takes on flesh. He, he hangs on the cross for us. And the wrath of God is literally being poured out on Jesus, the only one who's ever walked to the earth and not sinned. And, and what he's doing in that is he's taking the punishment that you deserve. You see, way back in Genesis, when God told Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for if you do, you will surely die. Death is the penalty for sin. And when Jesus came and he took on flesh, God in the flesh was dying on the cross for your sin so that it could be paid for. And when he resurrected three days later, he proved that he had defeated the curse of sin and death. And he invites you into relationship with him because of that sacrifice. He says, you know what? Your righteousness is never going to be good enough to come. But I'm going to go and give you my righteousness. What a trade, right? So he said, all that sin that, that you have, everything, that all that wrongdoing, I'm going to take that upon myself on the cross. And this perfect life that I've lived, I'm going to transfer that to you. This is the living water I'm giving you. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm inviting you into a relationship with the eternal God that you could never get to on your own. And guys, this is the gospel. And I I think that so often we miss this. We think that Christianity is just about a, a set of rules that we follow or we try to be good people that please our parents or or maybe it's just a part of our culture because you grew up going to church every Sunday. But if that's you, man, I'm, I'm telling you, God loves you so much more deeply than you know. And, and he proves that in a million ways, and he proved it as, as clear as can be on the cross. And so maybe 
you've been going to, to church for a long time and you've never really even grasped the depth of that fact that God loves you and wants you to be with him. I hope that you realize that this morning. You see that in uh, verse 23, Jesus said this to the woman. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come <clears throat> when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. This is huge here, right? The Father is seeking worshipers. You know what Jesus said in Luke 19.10? He said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. God is seeking you out. He has initiated this relationship with you. And the question for you is, are you going to respond to him? My prayer in here is that every one of us would, that we would come to worship him both in spirit and in truth, every bit of who we are. The inner part of us, the, the mental part of us, that we would, would both have our emotions and our heart poured out towards him and that we would do it in truth, that we would know God accurately because it's important that we worship him accurately. That's part of why we get here together and study his word every week. You have a God that loves you. John three sixteen, the most famous verse in the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice what is driving that. He just told you the gospel there in a verse. He said, for God so loved the world, that's why this happened. And so your loving God through the Savior Jesus Christ is offering you living water. As we wrap up here, I want to talk a little bit about how this changes you. How this incredible love of God that when you come to encounter it, changes you. And so the S that I have for wells is shift. Living water shifts our priorities. I'm going to skip ahead here uh, just for the sake of time, but Jesus' disciples come back and talk to him. Um, but then we kind of get an account of what happens later in that town in Samaria. So if we pick up here at verse 39, it says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town <clears throat> believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, <clears throat> and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Look at how this woman changed. This is a woman that had had five husbands. She was living with a guy currently that was not her husband. She was likely very unpopular. Uh, she, she was coming out to the well at about noon. Most people would not come and get their water at that time because it was the hottest part of the day. And so likely she was doing that because she wanted to avoid some of the uh, difficulties that she may have had with other people in the town. And yet she encounters Jesus, and she can't help but go back and tell other people in her town. And he says, hey, you guys have got to come see this guy. You've got to come meet this guy that's told me everything I've ever done. And this is, this is how Jesus changes you. And this is what Jesus did to me. I remember when I uh, first started to really come to know him. Because I, I grew up in a Christian home. But it wasn't until around middle school that I really started to dive into the scripture. And I started to, to get an accurate understanding of who God is. And who I am. And he, he, his spirit started to work in me. <clears throat> and he, he really did just start to change me. And I remember that 
my, my priorities started to shift. <clears throat> the wells that I used to run to, to, to think that, um, you know, these are the most important things. They weren't the most important things anymore. The most important thing became Jesus. And, and I couldn't help but go and tell other people about him. It started to be like, man, I, I've got to share this with others because I know that all of these other wells that people are running to are ultimately going to run dry. They satisfy for a little bit, just like a drink of water. Right now it'll satisfy for a little bit, but you're going to be thirsty again in an hour. But Jesus says, I offer living water and that you'll never thirst again. And so my hope for you is that you would encounter Jesus in this way that you would drink deeply from the living water that only he can offer. And as we wrap up here, we're going to go into a time of worship, but I want you to be thinking about these, these five points that I was making here. Uh, just the fact that the offer of living water is wide. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care if you're a church kid. I don't care if this is the first time you've ever been in a church service. God loves you. He, he is pursuing you. He is initiating with you, and he cares about you. You know, maybe you need to think about the fact that you have eternal needs that need to be met. There's a lot of stuff you guys have to worry about. I know you're probably thinking about, I got to find my classes and what buildings they're in tomorrow and everything. Yeah, and those are all good. You, you, you got you to figure that stuff out. You don't have to worry about lunch, at least. We got that covered for you. Um, but, but, but you guys have bigger needs that you need to be thinking about. And how are you going to be prepared for eternity? Maybe you need to just realize, man, Jesus is the lone source of living water. I've been, I've been dabbling around in too many different things. I've been trying to mix in a little bit of Jesus, uh, but I'm not really going all out for him. I'm, I'm hoping that I can kind of get satisfaction from this other thing. What I'm really pursuing is a really, I want to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or what I'm really pursuing is being the best in my class. And maybe you need to just repent of that and realize, man, Jesus, you're the only one that, that can satisfy me. I want to put you first in my life. Maybe you just need to realize the way that God loves you. You need to, to dwell on that gospel truth that I shared with you, that God not only loves you, but he likes you. That literally the greatest commandment that he gave us is to love him back. Or maybe you just need to think about the way that living water shifts our priorities. And you say, man, I, I need to change some things in my life to where Jesus is going to be first. So the band can come back down and I'm going to pray for us. God, we thank you that um, you do love us, that you do care about us, and that you change us, God. Lord, we, we know that we are not righteous enough to come to you on our own. We know we're not perfect. We mess up in every way. But God, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus. We thank you first that, that he took our sin, that he gave us his righteousness, and God, not only that, we, th we thank you that you've given us your spirit now and that you change us from the inside out. That you shift our priorities, that, that we start to be people that, that live in a way that pleases you. God, we want to be a church that does that. God, we thank you for the offer of living water. I pray that every person in this room would take it, that they would come to you and they drink deeply from the well. We love you, Lord. We pray this your son's awesome name.